Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was written by Judy Bloom and published in 1970. And the film adaptation directed by Kelly Freeman Craig uh, came out in 2023. What a mouthful of a title. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All my files for like this episode are just, are you there, God? Yeah. It's as far as I'll go. That's as far as it needs to go. Yeah. Every time I was trying to write it down in my notes, too, I was like, are you there, God? Question mark. There's a lot of punctuation in this, too, as well. Question mark. It's me, Margaret, period. Yes. Like, that's part of the title. Well, it's me, comma, Margaret, period. (laughs) (laughs) Whole sentences. Uh, An apostrophe in it's. Okay, I'm I'm done. I'm done with this bit. I'm done. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, you know, we went on vacation recently, and we were like, let's figure out a short book to do. And we knew this movie had come out last year, and I think we were both aware of it coming out. And then we're like, oh, maybe if, like, people are talking about it, we'll do an episode, we'll see how it's received. And even though it was critically really well received, I didn't feel like people were really talking about it that much. Yeah, I feel like it kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, which is very odd. I don't know exactly what month it came out, which can be a big factor, you know, like movies a lot of times get dumped into January if... People aren't interested in them, that sort of thing. But we still decided to do it because generally we heard good things. And our announcement got a lot of really good positive feedback. Like people seem excited about this episode. So I think like this movie, despite maybe not making the biggest splash upon its release, uh, is only gaining momentum. I hope so. And of course, the book is... I mean, just hugely iconic, right? I mean, this came out in 1970, which is wild, right? And Judy Bloom obviously is such an influential writer for children. Obviously, she wrote uh, the Fudge books, um, Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing, Blubber, um, also Forever, which I read. And I read this book are you, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I think in my like middle teens, like I think I was a little bit old for it at the time, but I do remember liking it. But I mean, it's just been reissued and reissued and reissued and generations of girls have read this book. I mean, there's really not anything that stands out to me as being like of its time. There's yeah. nothing that you read in the book and you're like, Uh, This is like, so the 70s, right? Like, sex education probably hasn't progressed at all since 1970. (laughs) Not really. And I did read that Judy Bloom did slightly update the material to reflect more, the more modern um, uses of like pads and stuff. I think the way she originally wrote it, um, it was like a different form of pad. And so that was changed. But I think that's really the only thing that was adjusted in this book. Yeah, well, I was curious reading it because, you know, they're, they're talking about, like, only pads. And I was like, did tampons exist back then? It's- there is a mention. They talk about it. Yeah. yeah. At least in the text of the version we read. But, yeah, I mean, like, 50 years ago. Yeah, which is nuts. Do you know how old Judy Bloom was when she wrote it? I'm not sure. Okay, because she's still alive today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I kind of just assumed, like... You know, maybe she was like middle aged back then and, you know, isn't around anymore. But she is. And she had, a, I guess, a walk on cameo in the film as well. So, yeah. And I mean, she's been writing for a long time, too. Yeah. Like she just keeps churning out books. And she's still writing new books. I mean, she has in the past, like at least five to 10 years. Oh, at shit. Least put okay. Out a new book. So, wow. you know, she and for a long time in her career, I mean, sometimes with these children's authors, like they just write 
like 30 to 40 to 50 books yeah. you know, in their lifetime. And that's like not that big of a deal. No. You know, but no. it's it's really impressive. And I mean, her legacy is just so important. And I'm really excited that we're talking about this book because, like I said, I feel like, especially for the time, but even now, like to have a book that's just very frankly about a girl going through puberty and that being like, yeah, that's what this is about. And it's not that like ground. I don't mean not groundbreaking, like nothing crazy happens in this. Yeah. It's not like an extreme story. It's not super exciting, but it's very real. Without getting like too much into it now, something that I was really impressed by was like in one way how universal it feels, right? I mean, even like the silliness of being that age, you know, even though I wasn't a young girl going through puberty, like just being like a 12 year old, you know, and like having like little secret groups and code names. And I'm like, <laughs> that feels so real. Right. So it's like universal in a way, but also it feels like very specific to Margaret as a character. And especially when you like are talking about like the religious aspect, this kind of like uh, journey that she's going through. Like it also feels like, OK, this isn't just a insert yourself into the main role type book. Right. Like it is a really specific and interesting story. Yeah, and let's get into Margaret as a character. She is 11, going on 12, um, and she lives in New York City with her parents. She's an only child. And right at the beginning of the book, we're told that she is moving. They're moving to New Jersey, moving to suburbia. Her life is just going to totally change. Yeah, we kind of see this play out in the film. I like the movie begins with like this montage of her at camp. Which was kind of a lot of fun. Yeah, celebrating that, like, girlhood. Yeah. ...ness of being at a girls' summer camp and, and the joy in that. And then she comes home and the news is dropped that they're moving. And, like, she's very upset. She doesn't want to go to a new school. Uh, even if it's still close to the city, it feels like it's a million miles away, right? Yeah, and also part of the problem that she has with moving is she's super close with her grandmother. And this is her father's mother. I'm guessing that the grandfather has passed away at some point. Yeah, they don't really address it. He's not really mentioned, but um, Margaret and her grandma, Sylvia, are super close. She comes over all the time to hang out with Margaret. Uh, They hang out together. They just have, like, a really special bond. I think it's interesting, though, in the book, Margaret says, like, her parents were moving away to get her away from the grandma. (laughs) Like, maybe she's a little too meddling, you know? Well, and, you know, the grandma, she's Jewish uh, and is very much like, oh, are you? I hope you date a good Jewish boy, you know, when you start dating. And, like, seems to be pushing kind of not a religious agenda, but maybe something about that, you know? Yeah, and it seems like maybe Margaret's dad is, like, Sylvia's only child and, you know, Margaret might be her only grandchild. So she's really, like... You know, she loves her a lot, but maybe she's a little too involved for the parents' comfort, you know? Yes. Uh, Early on in the story, Margaret begins talking to God. And I think, I can't remember in the book, the movie definitely implies that this is like a new thing, kind of, right? Like this uh, move and changing schools and all this stuff is like kind of scaring her. And so she's kind of reaching out. Uh, in prayer, even though she didn't grow up religious, right? Yeah, in the book she says, like, my parents don't know that I talk to God. Yeah. And I do it, like, in my head without, you know, moving my lips so they won't know. It being kind of this secret thing for her, this little thing that gives her comfort and she feels like she can turn to as an outlet, right? And I love getting these little, like, 
almost little blurbs of yes. her talking to God. It's almost as if she's writing it down, but we hear from her in the movie, like she says it out loud. And in the book, she says, like, I just think it in my head, you know, of being like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, kind of starting off each one. Yeah. Being like, we're moving and I'm really upset. Please, like, make it so it doesn't happen or make it so, like, New Jersey isn't that bad. You know, very much like exp- an outlet for expressing her fears and hopes and dreams and things like that. I think it works really well in the film, too. Like, it's a really great way of, like, adding uh, voiceover and, like, exposition and, like, what she's thinking on the inside in a way that, like, is just very natural to the story. Like, this is, like, an integral part of the story, her journey with religion and her talking to God. And so, like, hearing her voiceover prayers, like, fits really well. Where in other cases, like in movies, voiceovers sometimes feel like a crutch. Yeah. Here it feels like, I mean, not only I think is there like a is there room for it, but I think the script writing integrates it really well, too. Yeah, agreed. Um, So she goes to New Jersey. They move in and no sooner have they kind of set up in their house. Uh, but who knocks on the door? It's Nancy Wheeler. And if you're like, that name sounds familiar. Yes, that's also the name of the character from Stranger Things. I don't think there is a connection. I did look it up. I think it's just a common name. Well, it's like a generic yeah. 70, 80s name. Well, and it's not just uh, Nancy's last name in the show. It's also Mike Wheeler. It's like his last name, too. So I don't think they would like think of her name first and then make that Mike's last name also. Yeah. But it is a very funny coincidence. It's a coincidence. funny coincidence. <laughs> uh, Nancy is a lot. She comes over and immediately she's asking Margaret if she wants to uh, run through the sprinklers. Uh, Margaret can't find her swimsuit, though. And Nancy's like, oh, you can borrow one of mine. This begins like immediately this like, I don't want to say intense friendship, but like Nancy is kind of an intense person. So <laughs> like she gives Margaret a swimsuit and Margaret's like, uh, and Nancy's like, oh, you can change in front of me. I don't care. Yeah. And like Nancy's like, all right, I guess like that's kind of weird, but OK. And Nancy <laughs> shows Margaret how she practices making out, which was so funny, like even in, especially in the film, I think, with like the bedpost. Really hilarious. And then they, they're well, they're running through the sprinklers is interrupted by Nancy's brother. Yeah. The actress playing Nancy is great, too. Like, her screaming <laughs> for her parents and at her brother is so great. Just being so obnoxious and definitely portraying that really kind of specific kid that I feel like everyone knew, right, who was, like, a little bit spoiled, a little bit indulged, very much was, like, telling everyone in their friend group what to do. Very bossy. Right? Or, like, had a little maybe more money than everybody else, too, Mm. and maybe a little more status and just, like, lorded that over people and just, (laughs) ugh, so annoying. Yeah, you just feel like you immediately know who Nancy is. Yeah. They uh, end up forming a club together with two other girls uh, from school, Janie and Gretchen. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the club? The B- They're called the PTSs, the Preteen Sensations. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. <laughs> also, I love in the book, they give each other different names. Yeah, Like Veronica and Mavis. and But then they abandon that because They're it's like, too it's confusing. They're like, it's too confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have all these rules for their secret club. They're like, we're going to have secret code names. Nancy decrees that they all have to wear a bra, right? Mm-hmm. 
another girl's like, oh, we have to have boy books where we write down who we're in love with every week and we show each other, right? And you can't lie. Yeah. It's a strong rule that you can't lie. It's very silly, but um, it is really nice for Margaret, I think, to have this instant connection with these girls right away and to feel accepted. And even though Nancy is a lot, right, she really kind of does take Margaret under her wing a bit as like the new girl at school. I think she's a great balance of elements where like on one hand, right, she's really obnoxious. But on the other hand, she's never like too much. Like you're never annoyed with Margaret for being friends with her. Yeah, yeah. There is a really funny scene with them at one of their club meetings, though. (laughs) their chant yes (laughs) we must we must we must increase our busts i remember being so embarrassed reading this for them (laughs) i was like i would never do this out loud because if anyone heard me i would like explode of embarrassment i think that's like the power of nancy though right (laughs) the fact that she can convince all of them that like this is something she does and works and they should all do. Yeah, they're trying to get their boobs to grow and they're like pumping their arms but sideways, almost like they're rowing. Yes. <laughs> I I think it's funny because in the book you can read you read it as a as a chant, right? But in the film they are so aggressive. Oh my god. Their faces are like contorted. We must. We must. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, so hilarious. There's a great part, it's like the second time they do it, but like they're looking at a Playboy, and they're like, oh my god, this says this girl is only 18 years old, and she's got like, double D breasts. And then they look at each other, and then it just smash cuts to them, (laughs) we must, we must! (laughs) Oh my god, and when the, uh, Nancy's brother and his friend Moose, like, run in on them, and they start like, mocking them with the chant, oh my god, I literally would have exploded, Ian. I know. I can't handle this. You would have died, as as Margaret. I would have died, absolutely. Yeah. Similarly, uh, kind of going in parallel with Margaret's story in the film, we get more of an insight into her mom. Yeah, I think this actually really works well for the movie. In the book, it's so deeply in Margaret's perspective that I don't think we have room for anyone else. And it wouldn't make sense for this 11-year-old girl to be really aware of what's going on in her mom's interior life, right? No. But a movie is a lot more pulled back and you're seeing not just Margaret, but also her parents and like what's going on with them. And there's little moments with them peppered throughout the film. And I think that kind of works better for that medium. Yeah, I mean, there's some subtext, I think, in the book that you can kind of maybe extract what's going on with the mom a little bit, even if Margaret isn't like actively aware of it, right? For sure. But yeah, uh, her mom is played by... Rachel McAdams, who is fantastic oh my God. in this movie. She's great. I'm like, why aren't you my mom? <laughs> I know. <laughs> great, great mom energy. Awesome hair, too. Still looks great. Oh, my God. Her hair is amazing. Yes. Uh, and yeah, so like she has given up like a lot of her hobbies, like teaching painting and art and even like her own painting and art. I love that scene where she puts the art supplies in the closet yeah and like shuts them away yeah. almost like she wants to be so indifferent and when they're trying to convince margaret that moving is actually a great thing and it's going to be awesome the mom is very much like i won't have to teach anymore i'll be home with you i can like be the stay-at-home mom that i've always wanted to be and you can tell that maybe she's felt guilty yes about not being there for margaret through her childhood and having to work And now being in a situation where she can, like, kind of do maybe what society expects of her. And I mean, this is this, like, 1970, right? So for her to want that, like, 
And to feel that pressure makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. When I read that uh, the director kind of added this part, I mean, obviously it's not really in the book, but she was like, these were a lot of things that she was feeling and experiencing, being like a working mom and sometimes that guilt of not being around for your children as much as you'd like. There's a great visual metaphor in the movie that I love where from the previous owners of the house, there are squares on the wallpaper where previous like paintings had hung. Oh, yeah. Or things just hanging on the wall. And I think that's so that's such a good visual representation for the lack of things on the wall, like where the mom's art like should go. Yeah. But isn't there that like absence. Mm-hmm. And she's almost like she doesn't know who she is. Like she tries to become this like stay at home mom, this good person who takes care of Margaret, who cooks, right? She has some poor cooking attempts. And also, like, someone who joins the PTA, right? She joins all the committees. She wants to be involved in Margaret's school. And then she can't decide on how to decorate the living room. Yes, she's stuck. Uh, There is a crisis of a lack of furniture, (laughs) which is very great. And uh, she just can't make up her mind on what to order. I find this really interesting because this part... This part only is the part that's in the book also. Yeah. This part of the mom's personality where they don't have living room furniture. <laughs> like <laughs> Margaret mentions that. And honestly, by the end of the book, there's no word on whether we get living room furniture no, in the book. This isn't an arc in no. the book. There's no resolution And to I'm this. like, what's going on with the mom? Is this just like a funny detail that Judy Bloom put in? Or is this like kind of an insight into her larger character? And clearly, you know, making the movie, the director was like, let's like zone it, like zero in on that and be like, what is that? What's going on? Let's psychoanalyze Yes, <laughs> yes. But I really do love these moments with the mom. And of course, Rachel McAdams is amazing in this and just does a really good job of showing this nuanced mom, right? Yes, yeah, she does a fantastic job. I also feel like I should give a shout out here to uh, the actor playing the father, who is Benny Safdie. <laughs> and if you don't know who that is, he is one of the two Safdie brothers who directed Uncut Gems <laughs> and has also acted in a lot of stuff himself. He was also in a previous film he directed, Good Time. He was the brother to Robert Pattinson. He was in Oppenheimer that came out this year, apparently. He was in this. He's in a project, a, sh- a show with uh, Nathan Fielder that he helped create and is also acting in. He's having a huge year. Yeah. But I've never seen him in something comedic like this. And I have to say... I think it's easy to not realize what a task he had because like the dad is in some ways kind of a klutz, like kind of a little of a of a doofus, right? Like he cuts his hand in the lawnmower. Yes, the lawnmower incident. But also, at least in the film and the way he's conveyed, like he's also funny intentionally. Like he's got a good sense of humor. Like I love him dragging the lawn furniture into the living room. Like that's a great (laughs) moment, right? But then he also has to like, put his foot down and have more serious scenes that are like more intense and more Mm -hmm. like uh, character driven. Like he kind of has to balance these elements of the dad in a way that all feels like believable and of the same character. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have as much screen time as either Margaret or the mom, but I think when he is on screen, he does what he's meant to do and he does it really well. Like he has really good chemistry with Rachel McAdams. He has really good scenes with Margaret and it just feels like he is this kind of lovable, well-meaning, a little bit silly dad, right? Yeah. And I'm like, 
why isn't this my dad? I need these parents. <laughs> like these parents are great. They're fantastic. And I would have not, I would have never guessed Benny Safdie would be in this movie, but like I'm here for it. Like he's proven himself. Yes. Uh, let's talk about school though, because Margaret is starting a new school. She's in sixth grade. Uh, it's not a great time to be alive. Middle school is not not the best. <laughs> just be alive at all. No. Not changing schools just to exist. No, honestly, I don't think, I think sixth to eighth grade is like the worst time. I mean, it really in is. In your life. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pretty rough. Did, let me ask you, did your middle school include sixth grade? So I had a really, really, really weird middle school experience. Okay. So that's also why it was the worst years of my life. Okay. <laughs> but like sixth and seventh grade, I was in a Christian school yeah. that was private. So everything was really weird because it was so small. Um, and then in eighth grade, I was homeschooled, which right. was horrible. Yeah. So, yeah. Not okay. Because <laughs> I know it's different for different people. Like my elementary school included sixth grade. So honestly, sixth grade wasn't that bad for me because like you're at the top of the pile now, you know, you're 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 the, the biggest kids in school at that point. Then seventh and eighth grade, it wasn't a separate school, but it was tied to the high school. So you were around like seniors, like high school seniors, and you're just so much smaller and like ready to be picked on like as middle schoolers. So it's like it was like very intense when you got into seventh grade. Yeah. But some I, kids go to a different building. Where, yeah. The sixth grade is sometimes looped in with that middle school. Yeah. It really depends on the time you went to school, the school. Right. And your community and all of that. But you know what? It's just a tough time for a lot of reasons, not just school related. I mean, you're going through oh, puberty, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You're navigating crushes and ro romantic relationships with the opposite sex or um, with whoever you're into. And so it's just like very intense. It is. Uh, she meets some other kids. You know, I, this is where she meets uh, uh, Janie and Gretchen for the first time who become part of the club. But she also meets... Philip Leroy. Yes. Who is like the hot boy in class that like <laughs> everyone has at the top of their like boys list yes. in the club. Yes. And then there's also uh, Laura. And Laura is a girl who stands out from all the rest because she hit puberty so much earlier. So she's just taller and more developed than like all the other girls mm -hmm. in her class. Yeah, Nancy is immediately trash talking Laura when they're hanging out and is like, oh, like she's, she doesn't use these words, but she basically implies that Laura is a slut. Yeah. Says, oh, uh, my brother says that he goes behind the AMP, which is like a grocery store, with Laura and like they feel her up. And she lets them do it because she's basically a slut and she has big boobs and we hate her, yes. right? Because they're all jealous and they want to have boobs, right? They don't have boobs. They want them. And and poor Laura is like very kind of shy and doesn't seem to uh, like talk to anybody just because she is a very, very tall gal. And yeah. I think just feels like very uncomfortable. Yeah. And all the boys kind of tease her. It just seems like it just sucks. One of the worst boys being Freddy the Lobster, <laughs> thusly named because he shows up on the first day of school like super sunburned and yeah. everyone just calls him that. But like he's always trying to do pranks in the school. He's kind of making these snide comments and picking on Laura or Margaret or whoever's sitting next to him at the time. Yeah. Uh, their teacher is a new teacher because the old school teacher for this class ran away with <laughs> who like a, a, a man. Uh, yeah, it, it was like just like a, ran off and eloped, I guess. It was like some kind of it made it seem like it was a scandal, but I don't know if it was. But anyway, they have a new teacher, Mr. Benedict, 
And Mr. Benedict is clearly very nervous about being a teacher. <laughs> he uh, is trying his best, but he's like clearing his throat and being uncomfortable and awkward. And uh, I think there's a lot of funny stuff in the book, I think, about the kids like kind of fucking with him. Yeah, they like pretend there's a bird in the classroom like chirping all yeah, over all the place. Yeah, they all start chirping amongst themselves and they all decide like they're not going to like sign their names on their tests so he won't know whose is whose. Just some bullshit like that. It is funny kind of seeing the teacher, Mr. Benedict, gain his confidence a little bit as the year goes and kind of find his way with the kids and learn how to deal with them. He does introduce, though, um, a school project that they're going to have for the whole year to work on. And each child can choose their individual project. And Margaret isn't exactly sure what she wants to do and ends up having a conversation with her teacher. And he kind of follows up with a question that he asked during like a get to know you like class exercise where she mentioned that she hates religious holidays. And he kind of just like confronts her about it, which is a a little odd. He's just like, why did you write this? And she admits to him like, well, my parents don't really practice any religion. So around the holidays, it's just always like kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, And during this conversation, I think in the book, Margaret comes to the realization or the idea that she should do this project on religion. Yeah. The idea that like maybe... Because, like, her parents have told her when you get older, you can decide if you want to be Jewish, if you want to be Christian, if you want to be nothing. Like, it's up to you, but wait. And she's like, well, maybe I could use this chance to learn about uh, Christianity and Judaism Mm -hmm. and kind of, like, make up my mind about it. Yeah, and it's interesting because she's talked to her friends about this in the book before, just being like, oh, I don't go to Sunday school. Oh, I don't go to Hebrew classes. Like, I don't do either, right? In this community that's like, oh, you're Jewish or you're Christian or you're Catholic or whatever, you know? And in the movie, it's definitely more like the teacher kind of suggests this project for her. But I do think this is interesting. And the movie brings up um, him asking about her family, which ends up leading to a conversation she has with her mom in the movie where they discuss this whole situation. And, and the book kind of just lays it out for us, I think, textually as background, but not necessarily as a conversation. Yeah, but Margaret... In the book, she just explains it that she doesn't see her mom's parents anymore because when her mom met her dad, who was Jewish, her parents, who were devout Christians, were like, "Uh, you're going to hell if you marry that man. And if you choose this lifestyle or whatever, we can't be a part of your life. Yeah. And disowned her, basically. And like you said, like the book just kind of lays this out for us early on. But in the film, Margaret asks her mom about this because she doesn't know this backstory and this is such a good scene oh my god amazing i mean i mean rachel mcadams like does so well in it she's so good at crying but trying not to cry i love how uncomfortable she is clearly yes like she obviously was not expecting margaret to ask this right and it seems like the only reason margaret is asking it is because she had this conversation with her teacher and it's brought it up in her head and she suddenly you know they're just hanging out in the house and she's suddenly like mom why don't we see your parents like why don't i see my grandparents right my other grandparents yeah and her mom is just like oh, I don't really want to talk about this. Like, I'll tell you later or when you're older or something. But obviously, Margaret, like, just kind of waiting. Like, tell me I want to know. And she kind of 
is struggling for words, struggling to figure out what to say to Margaret. And, and eventually is just like, you know, they didn't want me anymore. They didn't want me in their life. And it's just so sad. Yeah. And, and like that, she even like kind of brushes it off, like says it all and, and is like, OK, OK, like, let's go. Yeah, she's know? trying to play it off like it, it's it's ancient history and it doesn't bother her anymore. But I love that Margaret is like mad for her. She's like, what the f- like? They're your parents. Like they can't pretend that they're not. Yeah. And like Margaret ends up like kind of comforting her. It's just a great scene. It is. Them. It's really sweet. And I think maybe she's thinking like you guys are my parents like. You would never say that I'm not your daughter, right? It's never explicitly said out loud. Yeah. But she does make a comment like when her mom says, you know, if I married him, then I wouldn't be their daughter anymore. And Margaret says, but you are their daughter. Yeah. And the mom kind of like smiles and is like, I know it's just they didn't want me in their life. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I think that also is a really good backstory and reason as to why margaret's parents are very much like we're not raising you under any religion right like how much trauma is that yeah and they don't want to dump it on their daughter yeah which is like very smart and mature of them i think yeah let's talk a little bit more about margaret's uh grandmother who in the film is played by kathy bates yes fantastic casting oh my god she's so funny she's great she's just overly dramatic over the top. I think she plays this character so well. I love her being so upset about them moving yes. in that initial scene. There's a comment she makes earlier about to the mom about the life expectancy of someone going down when they aren't around their family anymore, like <laughs> yeah. trying to make them feel guilty She's for like, moving. Oh, I had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> I love the scene when Margaret's visiting her and they're at the hotel room in New York City. And she's just telling a story about, like, wearing gloves at night to protect her hands and, like, (laughs) brushing her face and thinking there's a stranger in the room. Like, honestly, like, Kathy Bates could have improvised that whole scene. Like, it has that natural of a, like, humor to it. Yeah. Like, energy. She's really good with Margaret. Margaret, like, has gone up to see her. They go see, like, shows together. They, she'll, like, stay with her grandma sometimes, which is nice. And uh, her grandma does come down and visit them occasionally, too. Yeah, in the book, actually, she shows up, like, real early and, like, arrives at, like, what, like, six in the morning or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, before Margaret's parents are even up and is like, I'm here to visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a lot, but she's so funny. And you can tell how much she really loves Margaret. And... Margaret's been thinking about this school project, and so she decides to talk to her grandma about it first and is like, hey, would it be okay if I went to Temple with you? And of course, her grandma's like, oh, my God, yes, you're finally going to be a Jewish girl like I've always like pressured your family and wanted you to be. Yes, and Margaret tries to like explain that that's not what it's about, but like there's obviously no talking to her. So they go to Temple, and I really like the way this scene and other like church or temple service related scenes are depicted where it's like, it's a lot of things going on that Margaret doesn't really understand, but like this, there's some nice singing. There's some nice aspects to it that she enjoys. Right. But it's like, did she have a connection with God necessarily? Like she doesn't think so. Yeah. I love in the book, her trying to pay attention But then a lot of the services in Hebrew and then they're talking a lot and she starts like counting the hats on the women. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's like eight brown hats, two black hats, one red hat. (laughs) 
<laughs> she supplements this temple experience with going to church with Jamie and then also going to a Christmas Eve service with Nancy. So kind of getting different experiences. And I do appreciate how Margaret is like, this is a research project. I'm like investigating. And my parents always said I could choose my own religion you know, someday. So I might as well like kind of figure that out and see what the other religions are all about. But of course, she's coming into religion, not ever having experienced it before. And it's really fucking weird, right? It's like, oh, hi, here we are. Now we stand up. Now we sit down. Now we (laughs) sing this song. Now this man talks uh, a bunch in Latin or in Hebrew, right? And now we're singing again. Okay. And now we're sitting down. You know what I mean? It's like, it's weird. And I think that weirdness is what she's feeling a lot. Yeah. And I think it's something that, like, if you are a member of a church or a religion, like, you just get used to the routine of it as much as anything, right? Like, just knowing what to expect. But that, like, new, fresh experience of it through Margaret's eyes is, like, very funny. And I like that she acknowledges, like, hey, the music was really good, right? Yeah. I also liked in the film... Uh, Janie is black, and so the church they go to is, like, a black Presbyterian church. So, like, the music is, like, up a notch, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's very, like, high energy and, like, happy and, a like, A little joyful. bit of a different experience. A little bit of a different vibe, right, than, like, the other church she goes to with Nancy, like, more of a contrast. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's funny, too, the movie adds um, some scenes of her parents kind of discussing... Margaret doing this amongst themselves. We do have scenes of her talking about it with them in both the book and the movie where they're like, I think you're too young to do this, Margaret. And her being like, I want to know about stuff. And they're like, okay. But the movie kind of adds a bit where the parents are talking to each other. And the mom's like, oh, I'm worried about this. And, you know, the dad coming in again with his comedy. <laughs> yeah. Being like, Oh, my God, she's going to go to these and going to be like, these are so boring. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, do you know what got me to stop going to Temple? Temple. He's like, it's boring. (laughs) And in the book, he makes a comment to her like, oh, I used to count the feathers in the hats of the women in the church. (laughs) Yeah. Where Margaret like counted the hats, you know? Well, it's so funny because like this idea of the parents being concerned about their child being in... Uh, a church or a temple or a religious group like their concern over that seems so alien like I think to both of us who grew up in a rural area where like the default is you go to church right yeah and that like most parents would be concerned about their child like leaving the church or like being (laughs) disinterested or not as involved right but you it would make sense that like to a degree that a child who doesn't grow up around those things would naturally be curious about them you know like oh a lot of people i know go to this thing what is it like Mm -hmm. like what is it like what do they do they go to church and they sing i know yeah people talk it's funny because it it definitely feels like margaret is a little disappointed by the church and temple and various religious experiences she keeps expecting to feel something when she's there and she's like i mean the singing was nice the people were nice Like, it was a little boring, but I didn't really feel any kind of spiritual connection there. So, like, this is, like, kind of spread out throughout the story, right? Her experiences in different churches and things. Yeah. And getting into another big topic, which is kind of sprinkled throughout the book. And since this is, like, almost like a year in the life of Margaret, you know, we're kind of, like, picking and choosing different themes that happen throughout the year, Um, of her life. And one of the really, really huge 
biggest themes besides religion is puberty, right? And Margaret being anxious about growing up. And we have several different episodes and things that happened to her during this year where she's experiencing all those things. One of the first is that she goes bra shopping with her mom. And of course, she's like super embarrassed to even bring it up. She's like, awkward. They go to the store. The sales lady is very like, let me just measure you here. And she's like, oh my God. And she's like, there's nothing there. <laughs> You're too small. It's just like, it's so uncomfortable and you just feel for her so much in that moment. Yes. Uh, they also get the classic school day where girls are with like one teacher and boys are with the other and the girls get to watch and educational film uh, <laughs> about menstruation. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love that they point out how it's pronounced in the book and kind of, and then like all day they're like saying menstruation and like giggling they're, about like, it. They're like mocking it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. In the book, she's like, this woman that came to show us this video is basically just an ad for, for this pad product, sanitary right? napkins. Like, it's very silly, but, like, that's such an American culture thing, oh right? God. Like, let's just get this, like, sales company to come in and do our sex ed for us. I've never heard of that, but that has to be a thing. It has that to had, be. That had to have happened. Yeah. Also, it makes sense. It's like, hey, our company will come in and have the whole talk that, like, none of your teachers want to have. No. And you're like, yes. <laughs> do we pay you? Is that how this yeah, works? We'll capitalism. give you money. <laughs> the beauty of capitalism, <laughs> yes. Ian. Yes. But, of course, like, really uncomfortable with that, too. And, um... They're also really curious about the male anatomy, and Gretchen sneaks a medical textbook out of her father's <laughs> library. I guess he's a doctor. And they're looking at an anatomical drawing of a penis. It's very funny. Something about, like, it's just kind of like a cross section, right? There's not even, like, any exterior detail. But, like, it's the perfect amount of, like, no detail. And yet they're, like, just looking at it like, oh, my God, it looks so weird. And there's, like, nothing to even really look at. But it's so funny. I love this. <laughs> uh, Margaret ends up stealing a Playboy magazine from her father and bringing it to the club. And the girls are looking at the women in the centerfold spreads, right? And being like, oh, my God, look at her boobs, right? This was also so funny because Playboy, like, whether it's true or not, are like, this girl, Summer, is only 18, right? They're, uh. they're playing up, like, how young the women in there are, like, like Gross. I said, whether that's true or not. But, like, I love that idea that they're, oh, my God, this is only, like, six years away for us. Yeah. In six years, we're going to look like this. <laughs> and they're like, how are we going to get our boobs to this? And then they're, they're doing their bust exercises. I must, I must, I must. <laughs> right? It's just really, I mean... Like, this is so real, you yeah. know, just feeling that anxiety about growing up, that concern about, like, what will it be like for me when I'm older? What will my boobs look like, right? Like, how will I feel later? That self-consciousness, you know, getting your first bra, wearing it, feeling like, oh, will people see that I'm wearing one? You know, will people notice? What about getting my period? Will people know? Like, there's just so much societal and peer pressure, and also just anxiety about, like, who you're going to turn into. And I just really want to, like, compliment the actress here who plays Margaret. Yes. I was I like, mean, when's the best time to bring her In up? every scene, but especially in these really vulnerable, embarrassing moments, you know? Yeah. She's really doing so well. Her name is uh, Abby Ryder Fortson. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Unbelievable. I mean, like, 
this movie like requires like a solid like actress right to like carry the movie and she is just so phenomenal like her range how she has to like like you said convey so many feelings of like being self-conscious or like fucking depression or anxiety and like when she's fighting with her parents like she has so much range that this movie gets to show off it's unbelievable. And she's so cute. She's adorable. She's so cute. Like, your heart immediately is like, oh, my God, this little girl. She's so vulnerable. She is. And you just root for her, right? I don't know. She just, she's perfect, Ian. Yes. She's I'm like, the perfect little girl. I'm really excited to see, as an actress, where she goes. Because, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the other The other thing I wanted to say, too, that I love about this story in this movie is how it focuses on a age range like kids hitting puberty right that you have to have kids that age you can't no you can't age, age them up, them up, at up. All, right <laughs> you can't have a 16 year old no play you this. can't you you can't they're, really because they're not flat chested anymore no and i mean like i don't know the age of the girls in the lead roles may vary by like a couple years maybe but like that's a narrow window that you have to like be hitting right with like yeah. the age of the girls and we're always laughing slash sometimes complaining about movies that depict high school with actors who are, like, in their late 20s. <laughs> and it's just so, like, sometimes it's fine. Sometimes there's a reason, maybe. But there's always something that's, like, it doesn't really capture that high school experience because you have, like, fully grown adult humans pretending <laughs> to be, like, they're 16, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, the kids in this movie are the ages, at least, sure, they, they seem to be the ages that they're supposed to be in the story. And, like, all of the actors who are kids in this are great. Yeah. Like, Nancy's great. Gretchen and Janie are really good. Uh, even, like, the small bit players, like Philip or... Uh, uh, Norman. Norman. <laughs> uh, the only one who's... Probably or could be older is Laura, but like mm-hmm. that also makes sense because that's supposed to be like her characters that she developed faster. But like, yeah, I mean, everyone is fantastic in this. Yeah. I forgot to mention the scene where um, she and Janie buy uh, pads at the <laughs> drugstore and they're so embarrassed because there's a male cashier. Yes. That's something else I wanted to bring up about this movie, too, is that it does such a good job of delivering jokes with visuals or editing or, um, like, the way it cuts things together. Like, there's so many good moments. Like, this one where they're buying the pads. They put them at the end of the conveyor belt. And, of course, it's the slowest <laughs> conveyor belt in the world. And it's loud. And there's all these cuts between uh, Margaret and Janie and the cashier. And it's, like, so funny and drawn out. And then she adds the Tic Tacs on top. <laughs> Or the scene, like, after they're looking at the Playboy and it cuts to them doing their exercises and chanting. I loved the shots of when it's Christmas time. They're showing different houses on the street decorated for Christmas, decorated for Hanukkah. There's music. And then it cuts to their house and it's just desolate. (laughs) There's nothing. It's, like, dark and, like, depressing. No furniture in the living room. No (laughs) furniture. Like, it does so much with, like filmmaking as a tool right yeah i mean there's a lot of comedies that rely on like comedic actors right ad-libbing improvising that sort of thing but like i always appreciate a film that really utilizes a full spectrum of what's available 
in this medium to like derive humor. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So many really funny and good and just like perfect moments in this movie, <laughs> like this one with buying the pads. Yes. Right? Um, they also go, they get invited to a fancy birthday party for their classmate, Norman. Um, and this is a fancy event. Like they're all supposed to dress up, which is very cute and sweet because I don't know if I ever went to a party like this, but you can imagine it, right? Yes. That you, this is like, oh, this is like a fancy party. This isn't like a Chuck E. Cheese, like birthday party, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, so they're all getting dressed up. I love the scene of them getting ready for the party. This was a moment where I really appreciated like the range of even the actress like playing Gretchen. Like at one point she's trying to leave the house and the mom's taking photos and she's like, mom, and then she like strikes a pose. And she's like, I'm trying to go. And like, then she strikes go. a pose again. <laughs> like, it was so funny. I also really liked because Janie is played by um, a black actress seeing how Janie's hair hair was like gotten ready for this party and how her mom like washed her hair, how she straightened her hair, the things that they did differently kind of alongside seeing Margaret and Gretchen and Nancy getting their hair done and putting their dresses on and things like that. I really appreciated getting that added in. Yeah. The thoughtfulness of that moment, you know, that her, prep might be different than theirs. Yeah, but just as valid in that moment. They're all getting ready, right? Yeah, yeah, they're all having a good time. Yeah. Then they get to the party, and once again, this was such a great moment of editing where they're all in the car, they're all crammed in the backseat. Giggling. They're giggling, they're laughing, they're <laughs> squealing and excited, and then it smash cuts to them at the party, and it's like dead silent. <laughs> like, everyone's just awkwardly standing around. Boy-girl party, right? Yes. The awkwardness of a boy-girl party, where everybody's on opposite sides of the room, <laughs> right? Um, they end up breaking the tension a bit. In the book, like... The boys are spitting mustard on the ceiling for like a while. Yeah, you see it in the film, but it's like a whole thing. And then Freddy the Lobster like rips the pocket off Nancy's dress. It's <laughs> an intense party. <laughs> like rips the pocket off. But then th- this is not in the, in the movie. They just cut to being like, okay, let's get the game started. And they're spinning the bottle, of course. Yeah, I love in the film they do it so... Um, Who's who's the main whose party it is? Norman. Norman. Norman spins it and gets Janie and he kisses her on the cheek and then she spins it and she gets Norman. <laughs> and they're like, let's do something else. Yeah, let's let's switch up the game. So they switch it to two minutes in the closet. Yeah. Which I'm more familiar with the seven minutes in heaven. Yeah, I also was like, am I misremembering this? Maybe this is the middle school version. This is the middle school version. They only version. have a two minute tolerance. <laughs> I didn't understand the numbering system. No. Like, I thought they would be drawing numbers, but they're saying numbers. Uh, so there's kind of a, an element of, like, if you remember someone's number, you can intentionally call Choose that person. someone, yeah. Uh, I, once again, oh, my God, the shot of the boy who gets Laura. <laughs> and when Laura stands up and is just towering over him. I know. It's so funny. It's so relatable because, you know, that's, like, what happens all the time, right? Yeah. Boys hit their... Uh, growth spurt a lot later than girls do sometimes so that height difference can be really awkward margaret does get her number called by philip leroy philip leroy the most handsome boy in the class and she's so excited to go into the bathroom they don't have a closet they go into the bathroom the riz that this kid has (laughs) oh my god (laughs) he's sweeping back his hair the swagger And gets her first two little kisses. Yeah. It's very cute. Yes. And she's just like 
over the moon about it. She's so happy. I love later when she's relaying it to uh, Nancy. She's like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, he kissed me multiple times. I think five. Like, I lost count at five. <laughs> and you don't know if she's intentionally lying or if literally in her mind. She's like, it <laughs> she was five times, right? Yeah, she right? can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, like, so stunned by it. Let's uh, go to the grandma again. She, I love that the film, we get a little bit of perspective of her on her own as well. Kind of like the movie shows us the mom. Uh, and it's just a scene of her doing a to-do list. <laughs> and what was it? Dust? Dust and the crossword. The, the daily crossword. <laughs> and clearly she's like just feeling bored, right? Without Margaret and her family around. She kind of like doesn't know what to do with herself. Yeah. And she decides to tr- take a trip to Florida. Mm-hmm. So she ends up going down to Florida and kind of like mingling with other people her age, right, in that community. She ends up meeting a guy and kind of having a boyfriend, which is great for her. I love how what a surprise this is in the film. Like at one point, it's just a scene of her and this man (laughs) and she's like flirting with him. It's great. Yeah, she's writing letters to Margaret. They're, you know, talking to each other on the phone. And there is the kind of plan that hopefully Margaret will be able to come and visit her in Florida, potentially on spring break. Yes. Uh, So that's the plan. But everything changes in Margaret's social life when Gretchen gets her period. Yes. They've been waiting. All of them have been anxiously waiting for their period. And they've promised to give each other all the details (laughs) when it happens to one of them. And Gretchen is the first. Nancy is very put out by this. Yes, she's very upset. She (laughs) thought she would be the first. And I love, like, Gretchen tells them just, like, what happened and how it felt. But they're like, but no, like... There's more to it. Tell us. And she's like, that's literally like the whole story. I have nothing else I can tell you. They're just so desperate, right? Because they want to believe it's going to happen for them soon. So they're like, is there a sign? Is there some way to like look at the clouds and see that it's going to happen for me? Right. Once again, there's such a good cut in the in the movie where Gretchen is telling all of them, like, I don't know what to tell you, but. I just feel totally different now. And then it cuts to Margaret praying, and she's like, dear God, please let me get my period. Like, I can't, like, she's like rapidly she's so like, desperate. begging him. Yeah, and then at one point, Nancy's on a trip and just sends Margaret a postcard that all it says is, I got it. I got it. That bitch. That bitch, right? And so, Margaret yeah. in the movie just like rips the postcard to shreds. She's so put out by it. She's so upset. She's like worried that and she asks her mom, when did you get your period? And she says, oh, when I was 14. And she's like, what? And then she's like, oh, yeah, I have a cousin who actually got it when she was 16. And like, this is not. No, this is not good news for Mark. No, (laughs) she's like convinced now it's like never going to happen. And then she ends up going on this trip with Nancy's family to New York City. I think they see a show and then they go out to dinner. Um, Nancy's brother is also there and his friend Moose, who. Uh, Margaret kind of has a little bit of a crush on. Yes, I I love this. I also love the kid playing Moose in the film. He's a likable kid, but he's not like the way Philip is depicted, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just that he's a little bit older, right? Yeah. And he's friends with Nancy's brother. He's a little mysterious. He mows their lawn now, you know? (laughs) She like watches him from the window. (laughs) But she, she is hanging out with him in this scene and Nancy totally cock blocks her yes. by being like, we have to go to the bathroom together. But Nancy's in the bathroom and Margaret's there with her. And then suddenly Nancy starts freaking out. And is like, get my mom. She's crying. Margaret's really confused. 
gets Nancy's mom. And then Nancy's mom is kind of like, oh, you know, go to the vending machine thing and get her a pad. It's her first period. And Margaret is like, what? This this reveal, this realization that Nancy had lied about getting her period earlier. Yeah. And I love the awkwardness after this scene between Margaret and Nancy, right? Yeah, in the movie, Nancy doesn't say anything. No. But in the book, she says, please don't tell anyone. I thought I got it when I sent you that postcard, but I didn't. I promise. Um, Like, I didn't know. I'm really sorry. Please, please don't tell anyone. And, you know, you're like, how could you think you got your period and not get your period? It's a very clear blood or no blood situation. Yeah. But maybe she did, right? Uh-huh. You could kind of go either way with, like, maybe she really did think she had it. Or maybe she just wanted to be, like, the second person in the group to get it if she couldn't be the first. I mean, it makes absolute sense that Nancy would lie about getting it, right? Like, just a bold-faced lie, not, like, a misconception. Yeah, I I was actually so certain that Gretchen was lying at first when she said she got it. I'm like, one of them is going to lie about getting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even if she did maybe not intend to lie in the first place, she continued with the lie, right, to the whole group and acted like she had and didn't correct anybody. So Margaret is definitely, like, upset by this and is like, I can't believe Nancy lied about this. Like, can I trust her? What else has she lied about? You Yeah. Things just kind of, like, keep getting worse. There's one scene that's, like, really stupid but funny and also sad for Margaret where it's her birthday and she sits next to Philip in class. And he just, like, pinches her on the arm and goes, like, what's the rhyme? A pinch to grow an inch. Yeah. And you know where you need to grow the inch. Yeah. It is, and Margaret's like, what the fuck? I know. And she, I love in the film, she's just storming home. She's like, I hate Philip. I hate him. <laughs> yeah, she's, she hates Philip. She hates Nancy for lying. She hates Laura because she has to sit near her now and they're working on a group project and she has to look at her boobs all day and be like, why can't I be like Laura? This is also super relevant, right? Because she's getting the teenage rage, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> the angst is coming on strong. Yeah. And she's like, I was never this upset when I was 11. And I'm like, that's part of the deal, baby. Yeah. You want a period, you want boobs, you also get the rage. Uncontrollable <laughs> bloodlust and anger involved with it. I wish she would have just punched Philip in the face. That would have been really funny. Uh, Margaret does have a scene, though, with Laura, where she kind of confronts Laura over these accusations that Laura like goes behind uh the A and P with boys. Yeah. And Laura's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And she's like, Nancy told me all about it. And I think like you can tell in the movie, but in the f- book specifically, she suddenly just realizes like, oh, I think Nancy was <laughs> lying about that. Like obviously Especially after the revelation of Nancy lying about her period, right? Yes. She's like Oh, my God, wait, Nancy's a liar, though. But, like, it's too late. Laura's, like, really upset. And she kind of has a moment with Margaret where she's like, do you think I like standing out and being the first girl to, like, develop breasts and grow, like, three feet taller than everyone else? And like, Yeah, do you think it's great that all the boys tease me and stare at me and make me feel uncomfortable all the time? Like, nobody will talk to me and I feel really uncomfortable and I have no friends? And Margaret's kind of like... Oh my God, I am the worst person. Yeah. Like, I was just a total 
bitch to this girl for no reason because I was upset and I took it out on her. And she's trying to apologize, but Laura kind of storms off and ends up going into a church because she has to go to confession. Margaret follows her and is like, okay, well, confession is something totally new to me. Like, I'm not familiar with Catholicism. Maybe I need to go to confession, right? I just did something really bad. And so she ends up waiting for Laura to leave the confession booth and then going in. And she almost tries to do confession with the priest there, but then gets really, like, upset and kind of runs away crying. Yeah, and there's just, like, a really good uh, voiceover in the film, too. And this is kind of, like, summarizing text in the book as well. I forget if it's at the exact same moment. But she talks about, like, you know, God, are you there? Like, I keep seeking you out. Like, I've been to temple. I've been to church. Like, I've. And I think you're going to uh, read that right now, exactly what I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I was going to say, this was the part that I really wanted to read. Okay, yes. From this book. So she says, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I did an awful thing today. Just awful. I'm definitely the most horrible person who ever lived, and I really don't deserve anything good to happen to me. I picked on Laura Danker. Just because I felt mean, I took it all out on her. I really hurt Laura's feelings. Why did you let me do that? I've been looking for you, God. I looked in temple. I looked in church. And today I looked for you when I wanted to confess. But you weren't there. I didn't feel you at all. Not the way I do when I talk to you at night. Why, God? Why do I only feel you when I'm alone? It's beautiful and sad and devastating. Yeah. And I mean, like, so relatable, even like for her, who is like seeking God out in these different areas. Right. But like if you grew up religious then you've certainly at some point had the experience like of trying to have that feeling right of like wanting to connect with God and just like not getting it right. You're just like, where are you? Like, I don't feel this right. Mm -hmm. Maybe not always, but like you almost certainly have had that before. And like, I think the, that passage captures that feeling so well. Yeah. And I think it's so nuanced because she's on the brink of realizing something, but she's not there yet. Right. Where she's like, why do I only feel you when I'm alone? It doesn't make sense. And of course, us, as we're reading it, we're like, it's because, you know, your relationship with spirituality and religion is whatever you want it to be, right? It's something that you choose for yourself and that you can feel a connection to the divine. You can feel a connection to whatever you choose to believe in on your own terms. It doesn't have to be in organized religion, but Margaret who her whole life has been asked, what religion are you? What religion are you? And didn't know how to answer. Doesn't think that that's an option for her to just have God that she talks to on her own, right? On her Mm -hmm. own terms. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a very nuanced take on spirituality and like organized religion, you know? And, uh, but like, this is kind of her lowest point in the story so far. (laughs) And in, but unfortunately, she has not reached uh, the the threshold. Yes, we've seen um, and we've heard from Margaret in the book and seen in the movie that Margaret's mom sent her parents a Christmas card this year. Um, and she's had no contact with her parents for the last, you know, 12 to 14 years. Right. And her parents end up writing her back and send a letter that they've been thinking about her. They've been thinking about how they cut her out of their life and they want to maybe try to form a relationship again. And they're like, we're going to be, you know, in New York, in the New York area around this time. Can we visit you? We'd like to meet our granddaughter. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, their coming to New York is the same time that Margaret was supposed to go to Florida to visit her dad's mom. And so her parents are like, I'm sorry, you can't go. <laughs> and this, Adina, I think is some grade A bullshit. Oh, my God. This poor kid. You totally understand. Yeah. Right. She's like, why would I want to meet grandparents who hate me? And I've never seen before in my life. Who hate my dad. Yeah. Who cut my mom out of their life. When I am supposed to see the grandparent that's been around for my whole life. Who's amazing. Yeah. The parents absolutely should have like been like, you know what? We'll meet with my parents, just us. Like, we're not going to... See how that goes. Yeah, see how that happens. And then if they prove themselves to be, like, reasonable, then they can meet Margaret. But they don't get to just show up and, like, demand Dictate a meeting. Dictate her life. Yeah, with Margaret. Like, they can't just be like, hey, we're going to show up at the airport. Uh, hope you're there to pick us up, right? Yeah. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Infuriating. <laughs> but you also get it, right? You get yes. the parents' perspective as well because they're like, well, Margaret can just go another time. She's never met these grandparents. This might be one of the only opportunities to reconcile, right? Maybe it'll be easier for us to reconcile with them if she's there, right? Um, and I like this too because we're seeing the dynamic between the mom and dad. And we get this in both the book and the movie where the dad is like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Wanting to see them again. Do you remember how they acted? Do you remember how they treated you? Do you remember how they treated me? Like they hate my guts. Yeah. I really loved seeing this. And once again, like Benny Safdie in this film is like so good. But like, yeah, like getting his anger and outrage and frustration, right? And being like, listen, I get they're your parents, but like, fuck them, right? They've been out of your life for 10 years now and have made no effort to like connect with you. Like, it's not worth it. But at the end of the day, he's like, I mean, they're your parents. They're the only ones you have. If you want to try. He's there to support her. He's he's like, I'll I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a great a man. Good dad. Good dad. Good man. Yeah. Uh, so the other grandparents show up. It's very awkward and yes. uncomfortable. Uh, there's a funny line in the movie where the dad's like, I've used up all my topics of conversation already. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do they like? Do they watch shows? Like, do they have hobbies? What can we talk about? Uh, the movie throws a unique curveball at the situation by having uh, the other grandma, good grandma, <laughs> I'll dub her, uh, show up at the house from Florida. With her boyfriend. With her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Binneman rhymes with cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, like, I felt so bad. And I mean, like, is she overstepping? Yes. Yes. But she's like, Margaret, like, needs me. You know, <laughs> like, you're making her meet her shitty grandparents. So, like, I'm going to be here for her, like, in this time of crisis. But 100% making the situation worse. Absolutely. Like, Making it so much worse. I do love this dynamic, though, because this has been an issue with the grandmother. The good grandmother. The good grandmother throughout, right? Of her kind of like pressuring Margaret to be Jewish. But it's never really been presented as like a problem. It's more like, ah, she's quirky. That's right? just grandma. That's grandma. But here you see her kind of almost coming to the level of her other grandparents, right? Yeah. Of pressuring Margaret. Mm -hmm. uh, and it begins with her grandparents being like, do you go to Sunday school? <laughs> your, your parents aren't in the room right now. Do you go to Sunday school? Just, just nod Do you yes want to get baptized? No. Do you want to get baptized? I have water with me. <laughs> and then the, the good grandma being like, no, she's a Jewish girl. Like she went to temple with me. And then the parents being like, 
you guys, like, this is, stop. Like, this is crazy. This isn't. And then everyone's arguing. And Margaret just getting so upset because feeling just like no one is listening to her or asking her opinion on anything and ends up screaming at them and is just so upset at all of her grandparents, right? Not just the other grandparents who never saw her in her life, but at her grandma, too, who's, like, putting this pressure on her. And she ends up storming out and kind of saying, like, I don't even believe in God. Yes. Once again, uh, the performance of Abby Ryder Fortson is great. Because, like, I think for child actors, outburst scenes are sometimes, they're the ones, even with, like, good child actors, like, sometimes don't work, you know? Those, like, scenes of, like, explosive anger or sadness where you're like, Uh, You know, but like she totally sells you on this moment. Yeah, it plays out a little bit differently in the book. Basically, what happens in the book is the grandma, the other the good grandma is not there. The grandparents are there and they still have this argument and they end up leaving early because of this argument that they have over religion. But then the grandma does show up like right after the other grandparents have left yes. with her boyfriend and is like, oh, we were trying to like catch. They like, they, were like <laughs> they made the effort. They wanted to be there to have the drama, but they just weren't in time. But then Margaret has a similar argument with her good grandma. So I think it makes sense to combine these since she's yeah. essentially having the same discussion with them. And she feels disrespected by both sets of grandparents. Yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I like pointing out the problem with even the good grandmother where this issue is concerned where religion is concerned right yeah yeah so margaret is just as low as she's ever been and she decides now is the time to finish writing my paper on religion (laughs) uh she doesn't really make it like a project especially in the book she kind of says like other kids turned in like packets and like a lot of stuff and she just has like a letter essentially and it's just like boy has this exploration into religion been a drag i feel very (laughs) depressed by it i don't think i believe in god at all anymore and then she just turns that paper into her teacher and runs into the bathroom crying she's not talking to god anymore either it's really sad she's going through a lot right now and you just really feel for her right because it shouldn't be this horrible experience if you want to be part of religion right but when you have family And society kind of putting this pressure on you, it just really sucks. Like, she shouldn't have to go through this. No, no. Uh, But she's basically reached the end of her school year. The the book kind of just follows the school year from 1970 to 1971. And it's the end of the year now. Yeah, and they have kind of this wrap-up in the book and the movie of, like, the school year is ending, you know, what's happening with Margaret and her friends, and they're saying goodbye to their teacher. We get, like, kind of some concluding moments, more in the movie, I'd say, than in the book here, where I think Margaret in the movie specifically has been grappling with her friendship with Nancy, especially after the whole scene with Laura, where she realized that, all the things that Laura or that Nancy told her about Laura were not true and were really malicious. Yeah, like really brutal, right? And at this like end of the year party, she sees Laura and goes up to her and asks if she wants to go dance. Yeah. And so then it's the two of them dancing. And then Janie, uh, who's like the best of the friend group, probably joins them. And it's funny because you see Nancy and Gretchen, the other two, kind of like Nancy's like bitching about like some game she's trying to win. And you see her look over 
And it's just kind of like a sad moment, right? Where she sees them dancing by themselves. And I like, I think this is the perfect way to end this dynamic or allude to its ending, right? Yeah, because this is so true in terms of like the friendships you have and lose during this time in your life, right? A lot of times in middle school, it is a dramatic fallout, right? It'll be a big fight or a big thing that happens. But most of the time, it's just really subtle, right? Yeah. You just stop hanging out with someone, whether that's because you are in a different grade and you you don't see them as much anymore. You're in a different classroom or you don't sit together or you just like aren't interested in the same things, you know? And I think the movie is showing us that like... Margaret's kind of realizing that Nancy isn't really someone she wants to hang out with. And she feels badly about the way she treated Laura and that she wants to be Laura's friend. Yes. And I just like that the movie and and book two, it never devolved their friendship into like, oh, then they get in a big fight and have a blow up or like Nancy does something like really cruel to Margaret and starts bullying her. Like it, it avoids all of that and just kind of has this, especially the film, this like really quiet ending to their relationship where it's more implied than said. Yeah, really subtle, but I think really, really well done. And then we also kind of get a wrap up here with the mom's character. And we've seen a little bit more with the mom in the movie um, throughout the movie. We saw at the beginning her really wanting to like form this new life for herself. Um, But we saw like a couple moments where she wanted to paint again and was frustrated and unable to do so. Her having to deal with this PTA and they're cutting out these stars. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Only to find out at the end that like they were going to put the stars on the ceiling of the gymnasium. And Nancy's mom, who is the head of the PTA, who she's working with, makes some comment about like, oh, it's so sad that like those were a fire hazard and we couldn't use them. Like just this like mention that they weren't even for anything. Yeah. Like they cut out thousands all for nothing and thousands of like felt stars for nothing. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, we see the mom like they, she finally bought furniture. First of all, (laughs) and then she is teaching a painting class. Like it looks like it's maybe a community class for adults. And then she runs into Nancy's mom and Nancy's mom is like, Oh, la 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 PTA PTA. And Margaret's mom is like, you know what? I just don't want to do it. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I love that for her. I do too. Yeah. Just the not caring. It took one school year. Yeah. It broke her. Of her to not care about the PTA. (laughs) Which is unfortunate because her mom is probably the person who should be in something like that. But like, you know what? She has to like watch out for herself. Do her thing. Yes. Uh, The year is ending. She gets one more moment. Margaret gets one more moment with Moose. It's different in the book and uh, film. In the book, she goes out to confront him about lying about the Laura stuff. Yeah. She's like, hey, I know that stuff about you going behind the A&P with Laura isn't true. And Something he's like, about the phrase going behind the A&P. <laughs> I don't know why. It just sounds so like. It gets you. So old to me. Yes. <laughs> but she's like, I know that's all a lie and that wasn't true. And he's like, who who told you that? And she's like, Nancy. And then just, like, the realization hits her that, like, why am I doing this again? Nancy yeah. <laughs> Nancy is the liar. Nancy is the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Margaret, you stupid idiot. Like, I you know. were just like, oh, Evan and Moose probably made up those lies or Nancy. And then I'm like, 
It was Nancy, obviously. Yes, I'm like, oh, Margaret, sweetie. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, you can figure this out. Like, let's put it together. But Moose is just kind of like. Oh, no, that wasn't me. I that don't wasn't do that. me. Yeah. Anyway, I have to mow this lawn. <laughs> and that's like kind that's of the it. end. It just ends. I like in the uh, the film, she runs out to like pay Moose for like mowing the lawn. I love that her parents are like oh, we haven't paid him yet. Do you want to give him the money? Like, clearly they <laughs> yeah. know that she has a crush on him and they're trying to, like, do it carefully. Give her a moment yeah. with him. Yeah, and she's like, I guess I can go give him the money. <laughs> and they just had this, like, really cute moment where he's like, yeah, maybe once you're back from camp, we can uh, hang out or something, you know? And yeah. she's like, oh, yeah, I don't know, maybe, I guess. Like, you know, <laughs> just kind of this, like, perfect way to end it, right? There's yes. no kiss, there's no admission no. of feelings or anything. Once again, like, Going for the more subtle ending, I think, like, is really not only just better, but, like, also just more accurate to, like, what it's like to be that age. Absolutely. And what would, like, make her happy and excited in that moment? It's just (laughs) getting to talk to him and have a conversation, and that's it. That's all she needs. That's all that she's ever wanted. Like, that'll get her through the summer, honestly. Yes. And she's about to go to camp. She's getting her trunk packed. And what should happen, Ian? But she gets the long-awaited period. It's so exciting. God's blessing yeah. on her. <laughs> um, and there's this really sweet moment between her and her mom. God, it's so good. And like, honestly, this all plays out in the book in the same way. This kind of like mixture of reactions of like it being serious and then laughing. But like the performances once again in the film are so fucking good. Like between Margaret and her mom being like excited and emotional and emotional but also like this is silly why are we (laughs) acting this way margaret telling her mom like don't worry i know how to use a pad i've practiced i've been practicing for two months (laughs) and them getting to laugh about that and once again just the range of abby uh rider fortson like having to capture this like crazy mixture of feelings right Yeah. yeah so good and and also, Rachel McAdams being, like, happy and crying and, like... This, Getting to share this moment with her daughter, This right? is an important moment, but also, like, we're silly for crying about <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. It's a really sweet and touching way to, like, end the story, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is really impactful for Margaret, and it's a good way to end the movie and the book to be like, I finally got my period. I think the irony to all of this is that in my head, the synopsis of this book or what I thought it was about was like, oh, uh, a girl gets her first period. And then that's almost like what kicks off. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could imagine that being like she gets her period, you know, and then it's about that. But it's all the lead up to that, which Mm -hmm. I find like really interesting. Yeah. And this this seems to repair her relationship with God as well. (laughs) She's like talking to God again. She's like, thank you, God, for my period. All right. We're we're good. We're good. Yes. But I I love, though, that that's that's it as far as any kind of resolution with her religious crisis. Yeah. Like, it's just once again being able to talk to God. On her own terms. It's not a realization about faith. It's not like she, get, she doesn't give a speech or have an epiphany about like, oh, it's not like I don't need religion. I just need <laughs> spirituality. Or, no. oh, no, it's actually like I'm Jewish. You know, it's <laughs> nothing like that. It's just this moment of her getting to kind of like reconnect with this part of herself. Yeah, I really love it. So now we have to decide, Ian. Yeah. Which is better. Well, I think we can defer, in this instance, to the author, really? Judy Bloom. 
who actually said, according to IMDb trivia, <laughs> that she enjoyed the film so much that she thinks it's better than the book. Oh, my God. That's amazing. She really loved it. And this was a thing where, like, she wouldn't let anyone make a movie about it for so long. I was going to say, it's been 50 years. Yeah, until the director came to her and was like, listen, I want to do an adaptation. I want it to be honest and true to the book. And I guess Judy Bloom was convinced and she's like, I think it's amazing and I love it. I mean, it's really faithful. It is. It's very right? faithful. It like really follows the story of the book so well. I mean, we mentioned the things that it added, but I think in every instance, I agreed with the decision and I thought it added to the story rather than taking away from it. I think like that scene with the teacher, maybe where he's talking, questioning her about religion and her family was like a tiny bit awkward, but like it came across, I think, overall okay. Yeah, it was okay. I think the only thing that's weird to me is I don't think he should have suggested that she do her paper on religion. I think if she brought it up, he might have been like, okay, like if you yeah. if you want to, if you're interested in that. I think it was a big overstep for him to be the one. <laughs> Especially, like, when she's writing her letter at and the end. And she's so upset. And, she, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, and he's reading it. And he's like, oh, my God, what have I done to this child? <laughs> like, this was my idea. That's just, like, such a small, like, it little is. nitpick. Um, besides that, though, like, God, the, the movie is so funny. And it, its humor is all drawn from kind of the context of the book, too, right? Yeah. Like, even little moments, like when Laura stands up for her two minutes in the closet with that other boy and she's just towering over him. Like, that's <laughs> such a funny moment. And it's not anything that, like, the director is really adding. It's just kind of like, okay, who are the characters in this situation? Paying attention, right? Yes, paying attention and, like, figuring out where the humor is. Yeah, and I mean, I love the added bits with the mom, right? Yes. Kind of broadening her part in the story the grandma the actors in this are all so good and like we said the child actors are top notch they're really doing a great job they're selling it it's very believable they feel like they are that age and i mean it's just a really really good movie and i love the book too but i think the movie really like nails every single aspect of this story I, the movie is phenomenal it's almost better than it has any right to be like, it's so good <laughs> it really is uh and like that's just like everything fell into place so perfectly and it's interesting the director uh her debut film was the edge of 17 which is another kind of coming of age movie centering on a girl on a uh female protagonist in in high school it's like a little bit older and that movie uh, had a lot of acclaim and I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I thought it was like fine. You yeah. know, it was yeah. good. Like, you know, I don't know if I'd put it back on or not. Uh, but like this movie. Oh, it's so good. She just knocked it I'd out of the park. I'd watch this again. Oh, I would too. And I, I'm really annoyed now because it's, uh, you know, we're past 2023, but in film, everyone is now talking about like their favorite movies from the year because a lot of them are still kind of like overflowing into 2024, right? So people yeah. are still like looking back. No one is talking about this movie. And it's funny because we just watched a movie uh, called The Holdovers, which is very good with Paul Giamatti. A lot of similarities that are funny, like coming of age story. Takes uh, place in 1970. Ni the literal year 1970, the same year. Uh, lighthearted, but like with some more mature themes, uh, very funny. And like, this is as good, if not better. Yeah. Like, and maybe that's just 
preference, but I actually think I like this movie more. And The Holdovers is getting, like, Oscar acclaim, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's probably going to be Best Picture nominated. Paul Giamatti's going to be nominated. Uh, the woman who played the supporting actress will be nominated. And I'm like, this movie deserves... I know, it's so good. ...way more attention than what it got. And yeah. I know people like it, but we got to, like, get the word out Yeah, more. we need to talk more about this film. Yes. And we are starting that here. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. So it's definitely going to be movie for both of us, although the book is very good. The too. book is really very funny. And, you know, like we said, the film pulls like all of its inspiration from the book. It's very faithful. So like, obviously, ton of credit has to go to the book. Definitely. OK, let's do lightning. round. Let's do lightning. So first up for lightning round, we already mentioned uh, having watched the movie The Holdovers, which the fir- first of all, this was the night before we watched Are You There, God Is Me, Margaret. Uh, <laughs> both movies take place in 1970 to 1971. Yeah. Both movies cross that. And then both movies have great soundtracks. And both movies feature the song uh, The Wind by Cat Stevens, which is the <laughs> end credit song for Are You There, God Is Me, Margaret. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. Like when that song came on, I'm like, oh, my God, this was in The Holdovers, too. <laughs> like, the connections and similarities between these two movies is like very funny. Yeah. And then I also just wanted to mention the part in the book and film that was very funny where Margaret insists on wearing uh, her loafers without socks. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And the mom being like, are you sure you don't want to wear socks? And she's like, I'll be fine. And especially in the film, it just cuts to like the back of her legs. Oh, my gosh. And like the raw blisters that have already formed. It's so relatable. You're like, it's not cool to wear socks. And you're like suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The things I wanted to mention for lightning round were in the book. There's a whole section where. They're going to have like a dance and they have to learn how to square dance. Oh, yes. Um, And Margaret talks about how mostly the boys were just trying to step on their feet. And some of them could even do it in time to the music. <laughs> like they were good dancers because they yeah. could step on the feet so well. They were so like well. intentionally like timing it <laughs> so they could step on their feet, which I thought was so funny. Um, And then one other thing I wanted to mention is the scene in the movie where Margaret and her mom are shopping for bras and Margaret puts the bra on and they're, they're trying to struggle to get it on. And she's like, how does it feel? And Margaret's like, I already want to take it off. <laughs> and she's like, welcome to woman. <laughs> I loved that line. And that was an addition to the film. Or too. I think she says, I can't wait to take it I off. I cannot wait to take this off. Yeah. Yes. I wrote that down. That was a really so relatable Margaret. So relatable. <laughs> she just immediately knows like, this is not good. This is not going to be good. <laughs> Well, that uh, wraps up the episode for us. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoyed doing this episode. Yeah, and if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so on our Patreon. Our patrons at any level get all of our special fun stuff, which is monthly bonus episodes, access to our Discord, um, priority episode requests. So if there's an episode you'd like us to discuss about a book-to-movie adaptation that you love or hate or whatever, best way to do that is to become a patron. Yes, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those social media handles. You can find all of those at CoverToCredits.com. Also, leaving us a review or star rating in uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any platform that you listen to us on is also super helpful. Yeah, and we appreciate it. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.